you know, maybe 20, 30 kids, and I would come here on Wednesday night and teach them Bible study. That's where I started my ministry. At that point, that was when really I sensed I was going to preach the rest of my life. I mean, it was very strong to me. Pastor Stephen Furtick is one of the most prolific pastors of his own generation. Speaking weekly at Elevation Church as well as Elevation Worship Nights, I think it is fair to say between his speaking and his songwriting, he is well known by most people within the evangelical American church. Even if one doesn't know him by name or by appearance, it is very likely that their church or the radio station they listen to have played his songs and his messages. However, this level of success and notoriety does not go unpunished, with many people lobbying critiques and accusations at Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church. Hundreds and hundreds of articles and videos covering the things that he has said and written. It is not hard to simultaneously find a great amount of critique toward him as well as a great amount of encouragement for him in the comment sections of both the articles and the videos about him. What I want to do with our time together however is get to the bottom of all of it. Where does Stephen Furtick come from? Where did he learn to preach? Who are the people he looks up to? And why does he approach ministry the way that he does? But to begin to answer any of those questions we have to go back to 1980, February 19th to be specific to the place that Larry Stevens Furtick Jr. was born. That would be Monk's Corner, South Carolina. It was in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, that Larry Stevens Furtick Jr. was born to Larry Stevens Furtick Sr. and Faith Lyles Furtick. Now, before we go any further, yes, you heard me right. I said Larry Stevens Furtick. This is a birth certificate error. In fact, it was made on Stephen Furtick's father's birth certificate, and Larry Stevens Furtick Sr. didn't fix it, something that Stephen Furtick mentions later in his book as a sort of joke between father and son. Furtick's first introduction to church was actually from his grandfather, Thomas Lyles. You see, Thomas Lyles was a Methodist church pastor in Monk's Corner, South Carolina from 1959 until 1964. Stephen Furtick attends his grandfather's church up until he's about 16. He even recalls his Sunday school teacher's names, Miss Gwen and Miss Joe, writing about them fondly in some of the books he would write later. Now, Stephen's father had been previously married, long before Stephen had been born, and as such he had a stepsister named Stephanie, born in 1975, and later a younger brother named Matthew, born in 1983. And because Stephen Furtick has a propensity to give nicknames, Max was the nickname he gave his brother. Another family dynamic that seems to transfer over to the rest of Stephen's life is growing up in a household with his father. He was an alcoholic. His dad killed himself on my dad's eighth birthday. That was my dad's eighth birthday present to find his dad dead. Uh, tremendous addictions in his life. Dropped out of school in the eighth grade. My dad, he wasn't in church at the time. He'd been in church when I was a little boy. My mom always took us to church, but my dad wasn't in church at the time. He would go out and play golf on Sundays, a little par three golf course, get drunk with my uncle. and I think as sort of an atonement, when I was getting ready to go to church, he would wake up early and cook us breakfast. It is this sort of life that he sees his father live that seems to direct Stephen's life later, especially within fatherhood, how to treat his kids, how to love them, how to be there for them, things that Stephen Verdict himself did not have growing up. When I baptize you in just a minute, it'll be after the cameras are off and all that, but I almost I asked mom to get you here 
early today, but then I decided just to do it now because the Lord told me to end my sermon this way because he would use it to speak to others, so I'm going to say it to you. This Bible I started preaching from right after you were born, and every time I preached a passage, I highlighted it, and I put what I preached. And I've been saving it for you, and uh, I want to give it to you today. And I wrote you a letter, and I told you a story, and you can read that later. And I, I marked in it where, um, where Jesus was baptized. Even Jesus was baptized, you know, he was setting the example. And um, you're not Jesus, you're nothing close. And I'm not John the Baptist, but when you're going to be baptized, it's a symbol. It's you emulating the death of Christ and the risen, uh, the resurrection of Christ and the washing away of your sin. It doesn't save you, but it says that you're saved and that you belong to Christ. And in the note, and I, I highlighted this for you, and I put it all in the letter, but just in case it helps somebody else. Um, when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to copy that in your heart. It is at age 16 that Stephen Furtick starts to question his faith, likely because of all of the things that he had seen between his mother and father and the life that his father lived. While he had grown up in his grandfather's Methodist church, he began to question if any of this was actually valuable. Was this real? Was this worth it? This all came to a head when his friend invited him to a Baptist revival. One of his friends from school, Cody, told him to come and ask some of the people that were leading the revival some of the questions that Stephen had. And someone there by the name of Jody Jennings answered Stephen's questions throughout that week. I was starting to get really, really confused about why even have a religious point of view, why even have a spirituality. Mm. And right around the time I started asking all that questions, my friend Cody said, come with me to revival tonight. I want you to meet this guy, Jody. So I went to First Baptist Church for a revival when I was 16 mm. and came forward for the invitation. That's when I got serious about my relationship with God. There was a guy that I met that was there with the revival team. He pulled me to the side and asked me, you know, about my beliefs and I was kind of doubting everything. He spent hours and hours with me just explaining the gospel. That was probably the beginning of my spiritual journey. At the end of that week, Stephen says that he declared his faith in Christ, and him and Jody became great friends, actually going to college later and even further down the line, Jody marrying Stephen's sister. And it was at this age, at age 16, that Stephen became a Christian. And uh, so I just tell people all the time I was very, very um, bold. Uh, some would say zeal without knowledge, but I was, I was excited, fired up. Not very long after this, in fact, a pastor by the name of Mickey White made Stephen Furtick his youth pastor. You know, maybe 20, 30 kids, and I would come here on Wednesday night and teach them Bible study. That's where I started my ministry. At that point, that was when really I sensed I was going to preach the rest of my life. I mean, it was very strong to me. And it was Mickey that gave Stephen a book that would absolutely transform Stephen's life. The book was by Jim Cimbala, and it was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. To say that this book had a monumental impact on Furtick's life would be an understatement. One line specifically stuck out, one line that would transform all of Stephen's life as well as his ministry. He said, I despaired at the thought my life might slip by without God showing himself greatly on our behalf. 
And at reading this, Stephen Furtick's entire life trajectory changes. It was reading this book that he felt the call to preach, and it was at Mickey's church that he was given the opportunity to do just that. Now, not everything was great for Stephen, though. His newfound excitement for Jesus did lose him some friends and some relationships, something that he says he was fine with. It was during this time and well into college that Furtick read books from A.W. Tozer, Charles Spurgeon, J.W. Pink, often quoting them in his first books that he would later write. Furtick never notes when it starts, but it is likely here in his early ministry that he starts to compare himself to others, first to Pastor Mickey and later others online. He actually speaks at length in Crashing the Chatterbox about his insecurities and how often he would have to fake it to make it. Now, along with all of this newfound religious fervor for Jesus that Stephen did have, there were some struggles that he was wrestling through, struggles that he had heard from a number of different pastors. This basically came down to a believer being able to break their fellowship with the Lord, and he was incredibly concerned that his lustful thoughts or the things that he said or the music he listened to would break that fellowship that he had with the Lord. And this seems to start Stephen very early on in his Christian walk down the path of becoming somewhat of a legalist in the way he approaches preaching and evangelism. And this religious fervor and legalism didn't just affect him, it affected those around him, most notably someone close to him, his brother, Matthew. For example, he wouldn't let his brother listen to any music unless it was Christian music, also calling him out publicly if he saw him checking girls out or saying certain words. And at home, this was continued on. If he saw his brother watching anything on television that wasn't overtly Christian, he would change the channel to TBN and have his brother watch a pastor there. It was around this same time that Stephen Furtick picked up his love for music. Stephen met someone by the name of Harold Staley, and he was a guitarist for the Imitation Temptations, a cover band for the Temptations, of course. And Harold takes him under his wing, teaching Stephen the guitar and assisting Stephen's love for music along, something that years later would play an enormous part of Elevation Church and, of course, Elevation Worship. It's in 1998 that Stephen Furtick graduates Berkeley High School, a WWJD-wearing, worship music singing, make-my-life-count-for-something type of Christian. And while he may have lost some friends over his fervor for Jesus, he is still well-liked amongst his peers. In fact, he graduates as best personality as well as most musical, both traits that he carries on into ministry later. And after graduating, he goes on to study communications at North Greenville University. When I went to college, I got a scholarship, not a full scholarship, but enough scholarship that God gave me to get there. It was a conversation that my dad had with me right before I went to college. My dad was not a rich man. He worked hard. My mom worked hard. I had a good life growing up. But I think partially because he grew up without much. He never wanted me to feel limited like he did. One time somebody told me I would probably not get to go to college because of money. And I remember he looked at that person and said, you shut your stupid mouth and don't ever tell my boy that again. Now, you probably won't hear that parenting advice and focus on the family, but it worked. I never forgot it. Shut your stupid mouth in Jesus' name. When I finally did go off to college, he called me in to the office where the desk was one day, and he said, now, boy, you've never been away from home before. He said, when you get out there, don't you be broke and not tell me about it. Don't you get out there and not have what you need and don't tell me. 
I know I, you don't think I have much, and maybe I don't have as much as some other people, but he said this. If I have money, you have money. Now, it's at this university that Stephen rooms with Jody, the same guy that led him to Christ at age 16. And Stephen and Jody get placed in the athletic dorms of North Greenville. Now, they weren't athletes, but this wasn't the only thing that set them apart in this dorm. They were also the only professing Christians there as well. Even though North Greenville was a Christian university, at this time, they were recruiting a lot of athletes to build up their program, and none of these athletes apparently were believers. Now, Stephen sees this not as a setback, but as an opportunity. And in his book, Sun Stand Still, speaks of stocking his dorm with food so that any athlete on his floor could come and get some for free, using this opportunity to talk to them about sin and repentance and their need for Jesus. In my life, that happened with ramen noodles and mountain lightning. Remember, when you're in college, you're completely broke, dirt pork, so you can't afford Mountain Dew. You work what you've got, which for me was mountain lightning and ramen noodles. And we had a ramen noodle revival. We saw many people come to Christ. We saw God do great things. And it started with cheap food that, that isn't good for you at all. And this entire tactic and this approach to evangelism leaves Stephen fairly broke for most of his time in the dorm, something that many people apparently remember about Stephen Furtick in general, his giving, his generosity. It is during this time that another pivotal point in Stephen's life happens. When I had gone off to college and I came back home to preach at Santee Circle Community Church for a weekend, and uh, after I preached the sermon, my dad came down for the altar call. And when I went down to pray with him, he said, never stop preaching. Also, while at North Greenville University, Stephen Furtick leads the Baptist Student Union Choir, at one point taking a weekend to record a professional CD to give out at a variety of events. He also, when needed, preaches. So he was our BSU choir director. That was his job. That was not his job like that he got paid for, but that was his job that he like did. So we had a little praise team of like, you know, three or four um people and his wife Holly was part of that and um she was on the praise team and then he would like lead and then the choir would repeat and then we would sing and sing and sing and then he would lead and then the choir would repeat and so we would and we would sing at um BSU every single week that was part of the worship service and all of that stuff and the um practices for that were really intense like it was an hour, an hour and a half long. Eventually, it got to the point where it just, I was too busy and I couldn't commit to doing that. But that's what he was. That was the main thing that he did. And, and then um, every now and then he would preach. So he would preach in chapel or he would preach um, at BSU. More often than not, it was BSU because um, they had guest speakers come in at, at chapel. And so he, he might preach at chapel if BSU choir was singing. So tying into that, I guess, just to go back to what you're talking about before, as far as the choir part, that was the sense you got then that like this, if it was, if it was at any way subpar, we need to really make this the best thing we can then. That was sort of. The yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a, um, I don't think I'd be able to find it. We had a CD. Like he, he spent a weekend and the, the BSU choir made a CD. So, so that they could like, if they ever traveled or did whatever, so he could just like sell it or give it away or pass it out or, 
or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was perfection. You did what you were, um, you guys were like elevation worship, you know, version one is what you were. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. And while all of this is quite important and very influential in Stephen's life and ministry, nothing likely affects his life and ministry more than meeting Holly Boynton. What am I doing here? I wondered when my parents dropped me off at that college. This is for everybody who's stressed out about stuff you don't understand and you don't know. God, I wanted to go home for months at that little school, but something, something, it must have been a, it must have been a Holly and a Boytnot. It must have been that girl staying over there in Klein 9. I remember the number of the dorm. I was stalking you before you knew how sexy I was. Hey. Now, how many of y'all think that while I was in those first three weeks wanting to go home, God saw this girl on the front row that has built this church and this ministry right by my side every step of the way? How many think that God saw that? I do. Now, Holly and Stephen date throughout college and eventually graduate and get married on June 3rd, 2002 at Old Santee Canal Park in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Now, something in connection to this that I really don't have time to get into, but is worth noting because of the impact it has on Stephen Furtick's life and ministry, is his and Holly's marriage. A marriage that is very much full of love, joy, and support. We just graduated college, just gotten married, and so it was our first apartment, our first jobs. I was a school teacher. I was teaching fifth grade, and I mean, we had to, we had to, we had to get our own dial-up internet and set up the electricity. Well, I had a cable modem. That's dial-up. I was doing business. Dial-up is different. Okay. Dial-up is... <laughs> well, we had dial-up to... will kick you off if somebody picks up the phone. Dial-up will take you 44 days to download a song. <laughs> we didn't have that? No. That was like the backup though, right? No. No. Okay. I, would, I had you on cable modem from day one of our marriage. <laughs> all right. All right. So we had to set up our own cable modem. And we had to set up our own, uh, you know. Repoed furniture, but a cable modem. Yeah. <laughs> we have priorities. Unfortunately, Stephen's grandfather dies very shortly after him and Holly get married on November 18th, 2002. And this year is a very busy year for Stephen Furtick. In fact, it's a beginning of a very busy season for Stephen Furtick. After graduating and getting married, they move back to South Carolina and become the music team leaders at Christ Covenant Baptist Church in Shelby, South Carolina. Along with this, he teams up with Clayton King and begins to speak extensively at youth camps and churches all over the place and has a radio show with King in which they cover a number of topics live on air. It is also during this time that Stephen Furtick pursues a degree of divinity from Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Stephen notes in his book, Sun Stand Still, that a three-year seminary degree actually took him five and a half years to complete. And he doesn't say why, but looking back at the timeline, it's quite clear. Between graduating, getting married, moving, speaking at church camps, running a music ministry at your own local church, fitting a degree of divinity on top of that would be quite time-consuming. But this wasn't the only thing that Stephen Furtick had on his plate. There was one more thing, something that had been on Stephen Furtick's mind since the age of 16, something he hadn't really pursued but would come up time and time again. 
And while speaking at Covenant College in Chattanooga, Tennessee, this came up once more. You see, Stephen Svertig speaks here in 2005, and it was another pivotal moment in his ministry. He mentions this near the end of his book, Unqualified. You see, it was here that Stephen and Holly had a conversation one night after he was done preaching about finally starting a church. The issue was that Stephen had been putting it off because he did not think he was qualified to do so. In fact, the death of his grandmother in March 29th of 2004 had really shaken his faith. On top of that, he felt unqualified at administration, wasn't sure if he could come up with a new sermon each week. Even though he had been talking to Perry Noble about doing just this, planning a church, even a year prior. So after this conversation with Holly in 2005, Stephen put into action the plan that him and Perry Noble had been speaking about in 2004. I experienced an almost blinding vision that I'll never forget the first time I sat down to have lunch with Perry Noble. Of course, he took me out to eat, and he grabbed the check before I could, even though I was a no-name church planter who should have had to pay to even get a meeting with him. And he was the founding pastor of what was growing to quickly become the largest church in his state and one of the largest in the nation. It's a special southern brand of boldness, the kind of boldness that would dare to dream up and labor to raise up a church that would touch the world from Anderson, South Carolina. Ander freaking son, South Carolina. I know that placement of freaking was forced, but you can't pay homage to Perry Noble without slipping in a Christian cuss word. I watched as his boldness enabled his church to break barrier after barrier after barrier. Through Perry, I saw a kind of boldness that was also willing to break religious barriers, even if it meant inciting a few critics so that other normal, broken people could catch a glimpse of the light of Christ. It was a kind of boldness that occasionally took it too far and was usually quick to admit when it did, but it was a boldness that would rather overreach and apologize than sit back, do nothing, and waste away. Perry modeled a culturally relevant biblical boldness in the pulpit that gave me permission to preach with my own kind of passion. When I watched him challenge his church over and over again to give, serve, stretch, step out and bring people to Christ by any means necessary, I figured, well, maybe I could challenge my church to try to change the world too. Perry Noble was one of the first pastors that helped Stephen Furtick develop a plan. At that time, Noble was a very well-known and upcoming pastor in a fast-growing church known as New Spring Church. Now, this seems to be the pivot point in Stephen Furtick's ministry methodology. Whereas before he learned a lot from local church ministry as well as seminary, he now is picking up a lot of tips from Perry Noble and T.D. Jakes and others from the C3 conference. In fact, right before launching Elevation Church, a core group of the team go to C3 conference January 28th, 2006, learning a lot, especially from T.D. Jakes' talk on the Ten Commandments of Christian Leadership. One of the pastors closest to Stephen Furtick saying this, it shaped the church we would become, and it gave language to what God had put in Pastor Stephen's heart. A year prior to this, they had had a core group meeting, a meeting made up of primarily people that had come from the church that Stephen was a worship leader at. 
And with their core group of volunteers, Elevation Church launches February 2006. The church that Stephen Furtick had been putting off planning was named after the U2 tour, a church that started in Stephen Furtick's living room. I asked him, I said, I'm going to start a church, and here's the kicker. I don't know where. <laughs> and it is what he said. I'm going with. I'm going with. Not, not I'm going with you. Just some Minnesota grammar. I guess that's how they talk in Minnesota. <laughs> Bad grammar, great faith. <laughs> I'm going with. Now, this guy, Chunks, come here. Can you make it up the stairs? Y'all, he's only like 45, but he's got so many injuries. He was different. I said, I want you to start the church with me. And he was like, I'll, I'll pray about it. <laughs> You remember that list you pulled me in the Sunday school room and you had a list? Now, now, how about this and how about that and how about that? He wanted answers, right? I need some answers. That's funny. What about this and what about that? But it was amazing because even though I couldn't answer, give him any of his answers that he wanted, wow. in the absence of answers, My goodness. he chose faith. And I had already given up on you. And Holly said, wait for him. He's worth waiting for. He's worth waiting for. He's supposed to be your guy. He's worth waiting for. I said, I need an answer. He said, uh, I'm praying about it. I said, I need an answer by noon on Thursday. I got to have an answer because I got to move on because God's called me to do this. And if you want to do it with me, I really want you to do it with me. But if you don't do it with me, I got to find somebody else. And they'll be my second choice. But I got to do it because God told me to do it. You got till noon Thursday. 11. 57 a.m. on that Thursday, my uh, Motorola rang, and, and I, said, I said, hey. He said, I'm in. We're in. And he and Amy have been with us ever since. Larry Bry found us a senior center to meet in. He said, I found us a place, but it's a senior center. I said, I'm 25. It's a, it's a branding uh, issue, a sponsorship conflict. I'm trying to start a, a church called Elevate. I'm naming my church after a U2 world tour, Elevation. And, and you want me to go to a senior center? And, uh, but it's a beautiful facility, but it was under construction. And when they opened that building, we didn't have our first meeting there. We had it in the atrium of Providence High School. The first service at Elevation Church was held in the atrium of Providence High School. It's a good day around here. We're uh we're doing our first Sunday morning service as a church, and we're so glad all of you are here with us. Go ahead and bring the house lights on so I can see who I'm looking at in this place today. Um, my name is Stephen Furtick. I'm the lead pastor of this church. I would also like to introduce my very beautiful, very talented, very smart, very good cooking wife. Her name is Holly, if you stand up and wave at everybody. I always like to point out that the one with the pretty voice Standing to my right belongs to me. She's mine. I'm proud of her. How many of you are first-time guests here this morning? Don't embarrass you too bad. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming. Members, give them a hand. I have a, a message this morning that uh, I would say if there's only one message that I could ever teach or preach to people, any kind of people, people who are far from God as well as people who are close to God, it would be 
this message that I'm going to preach to you this morning. So I just want to take a moment and pray and ask that the Lord would prepare your heart. I know we come into worship services like this with all kinds of things on our mind, with all kinds of anticipations for Monday. We just need a moment probably to drop all of that and just to let our hearts be settled and quieted so that the Lord can really speak into your life today. Will you bow your head and pray with me? God, I am a grateful man today for all that you've done in my life, for all the people that you've brought around me, for this team that you've assembled to make this church a reality so that the city of Charlotte can experience transformation. Lord, we pray that you would take these moments and maximize them. May all of the stuff of life be swept aside so we can make room and prepare a way to hear hear from you today. Um, Give me accuracy and clarity and boldness as I speak, Lord, and help us to all engage with your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. That first year, they have an enormous event in which they drop 5,000 eggs out of a helicopter onto a football field to 2,000 people. Thousands of Easter eggs falling out of a helicopter in southeast Charlotte. A Charlotte Easter egg hunt ended on the ground, but it started in the sky. A helicopter dropped 50,000 Easter eggs. Giving away iPods, television, and tickets to local events. Now, this event is highly successful, but also highly criticized. But it does work. By the end of 2006, their average attendance is 483 people. And by the end of 2007, that number has grown three times, now averaging 2,090 people every week. The growth happened so fast they have to leave Levine Senior Citizen Center and go back to Providence High School. In fact, the one-year anniversary of Elevation Church is held at Providence High School. And on this one-year anniversary, they record their first worship and praise CD, including songs from Matt Redman, Passion Worship, and some original songs from Stephen Furtick himself. Now, it is around this time that Stephen Furtick realizes that he is not going to be able to continue to preach and lead worship all in the same service. And so he starts to set a vision for what the future of Elevation Worship will look like, bringing on three individuals that originally had declined the invitation. For the first year of the church, Pastor Stephen led worship and preached. And when he uh, asked myself and a guy named Chris Brown, who's still on staff as probably the main person you'd recognize from Elevation Worship. And then a guy named Mac Brock, who was on staff for about 10 years. All three of us were going to do different things. I was going to plant a church. Chris was going to move to Nashville. Mac was going to move to LA. We had all said no to our initial job offers at Elevation. And I remember Pastor Stephen called us into this uh, uh, Italian restaurant, the back room. It felt real mafia style. And he looked at me and he said, hey, if you go plant that church, um, I'm sure it'll be great, but you'll miss out on God's will for your life. Come be a part of this church that's going to impact thousands of church plants. And granted, Elevation was nothing like it is now. He looked at Chris and said, don't go to Nashville and write songs, write songs for the local church and make Nashville come to you. And so we all end up changing our plans, come up to Charlotte, and we had no idea how to write worship music at all. And Pastor Stephen cast a vision for what the worship culture would look like one day and the songs we would write and what Elevation Worship would look like. And Pastor Stephen got involved in the songwriting, which took it up exponentially. And uh, the songs have been a lot to me and my family, and I'm really grateful to have been a part of it. 
Around this same time, Stephen Furtick meets Craig Rochelle of Life Church. They have a meeting and become fast friends. And this is another milestone in Elevation Church's journey. What Perry Noble did for Stephen Furtick in regards to planning the church, Craig Rochelle takes to the next level by giving them infrastructure and leadership advice, not only from afar, but taking Stephen Furtick under his wing. Uh, when we started the church, I told Holly, I don't feel like I have like a mentor or a guide or a spiritual father. I love my dad, but I don't have like a spiritual father in the ministry. And she told me that God was always going to send me everybody I needed when I needed them in my life. And a few years ago, God sent Pastor Craig Rochelle into my life. And he told me that he felt divinely called to protect me, be my friend, let me learn from his dumb mistakes, and also to allow me access to his life to glean wisdom. And he has a lot of wisdom. In fact, his entire lead team that runs LifeChurch.tv is uh, spending some time with our staff as I'm recording this. And I think that's special that we get access not only to him, but to his whole leadership team. We've learned so much from them. I could tell you about how they helped us start our first video campus. I could tell you all about how they helped us with our structures and systems. The way that Stephen Furtick teaches his people is directly impacted by the way Craig Rochelle teaches him to do so. So this growth that we see in the early days of the church, as well as Stephen Furtick's leadership model, can be directly traced back to Craig Rochelle. You are an answer to prayer, is what you don't realize. We started praying for you before we ever had our first church service, that the Lord would send us people who First of all, that he would send people that, that needed Jesus. And uh, do you qualify? <laughs> I'm like, God, send people who need you in their life as much as I do. <laughs> and then we prayed that he would send us people. Do you remember the scripture where Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few? And so we asked the Lord to send people who would not just want to pull up to the all-you-can-eat crab leg buffet and, and, just, and just consume, but would really want to, to bring to God an offering. And that's prayer, that's giving, that's service, that's worship, but uh, you know who you are. In his book, Sun Stand Still, he says that he wanted the people of Elevation to know that they were missionaries in the marketplace, being the image of God in their spheres of influence and inviting people to church. And this contributes dramatically to the growth of Elevation Church in the early days. In fact, the volunteers see themselves as key parts of people's experiences at Elevation. So no matter if you're part of the parking lot crew, the door crew, the musicians, or the greeters, you have an integral part to play within the worship experience. Going so far to ensure that it's not just called a worship service, in fact, it's a worship experience. And the idea of all of the volunteers and all of the musicians and everyone involved within this experience is to make sure it's distraction-free as possible. At least that's the way they want it to appear on the surface. In fact, behind the scenes, there is a very specific dress code that you have to wear, especially if you're an intern or somebody on staff. Also, there are very specific ways to speak of services or even to address Pastor Stephen. That was something that was also shocking. Um, when I, my first week, I called Stephen Furtick, Stephen Furtick. And that was like a cuss word because he's not Stephen Furtick, he's Pastor Stephen. You don't, you don't call your, you don't call your dad by your, by his first name, just like you don't call your pastor by his first name. And they, they were very dead serious. Like it's all about honor and he's, he's paved the way for us. We have, he's pastor. Don't ever call him Stephen. 
was so weird. A previous intern for Elevation Church reached out and wanted to shed some light on some of these subjects. They also asked to remain anonymous. There was something that we watched where, I mean, I don't remember where, but they, he, uh, Stephen Furtick explicitly said, like, this church, this seat isn't for you. That you don't have a safe seat. This church is for, you know, the, the unbelievers, the, the, you know, the people who need Jesus. I want Elevation Church to be a church for the overlooked, for the unloved. Not for us to have as many different varieties of Bible studies. We got Beth Moore and Kay Arthur and Joyce Meyer. No. You know what we got? We got Jesus. We preach Him. We preach so that people can come to faith in Christ, and we want them to get in a small group and serve so that other people can meet Christ. If you know Jesus, I am sorry to break it to you. This church is not for you. Yeah, but I just gave my life to Christ last week at Elevation. Last week was the last week that Elevation Church existed for you. You're in the army now. We do one thing. We preach Jesus so people far from God can know Jesus. And then we train them up so that others can know Jesus. It's called kingdom multiplication. It's what Elevation Church is all about. But as I'm there, it's not. It's for the rich. It's for the, the lo-fi, hipster, chic Christians. So who is the worship experience for? Well, when you watch the actual services, there are two things that distinctively stick out. The worship and the main event, Pastor Stephen's sermons. Sermons that are carefully crafted to speak to the felt needs of the individuals in the seats. Um, I love to take the Bible and make sure that we, that we get the historical context of what was happening, but not leave the Bible in the historical context but make it helpful for your life. And that's something I really believe in. One of my seminary professors who trained me told us that our job isn't to apply the Bible to people's lives. It's just to teach them what happened in the Bible. Couldn't disagree with that more. People are going through too much hell for me to preach that way. Come on, just to give you a lesson about something that happened 3,000 years ago, and that, hey, have a good week. Hope the custody battle goes okay. Hope you don't die. Hope you make it back to next Sunday, and I'll give you another history lesson. I can't do that. It's not in my heart to do that. That's not how God wired me. And so when I come to the scriptures, I'm always asking a couple questions. What happened here, and then what's happening in the lives of those that you've called me to help, Lord? And so that's kind of how I pray. I'm taking a little longer to build this up because when I get into the Bible text, I don't want you to think it doesn't apply to you. And I like to connect things that you can feel to things that you read in the Bible so you know that God wasn't just writing Exodus 27 to the Israelites when they were wandering through the wilderness, but that we also wander through wilderness. Uh, we also wander through dry seasons. Uh, we also deal with a silent frustration, although we don't always voice it. Some of us are are burned out on the inside. We're making bad decisions, and we're chronically in a bad mood, and we have bad relationships, not because we're bad people. Tell somebody, you're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. Come on, tell them they need to, they need to know, because sometimes they, they look at their responses, and they, they measure themselves on the revelation of their response, but it's not that you're a bad person. It, it might be that you're burned out, and so you're discontent, and you're restless. And in the early days of Elevation Church, this is incredibly important to Stephen. So much so that the sermon series that he builds his messages around are innately geared toward the individual coming. 
And the first set of sermon series that they do at Elevation Church reflects that, whether it be identity theft, what should I do with my life, more than words, bringing sexy back, Freakonomics, or even iTunes. All of these are geared toward things that people are seeing in their day-to-day life and then bringing heavy application from Scripture to them via these series. And these two things, the volunteers making sure the experience was everything that they felt it should be, and Stephen's preaching directly applying to the felt needs of the people, explode elevation within the first year. And by the time that 2007 begins to end, Stephen Furtick knows that they're going to need to have more campuses and, as such, need to do a capital campaign to be able to afford to do so. As a way to promote this campaign, Stephen visits Lakewood Community Church, Joel Olstein's church, and makes a promo video saying that if it can happen there, it can happen here. I did want to take a moment and just honor uh, Pastor Joel and Victoria again to say thank you for letting me stand here and preach. Yeah, I didn't tell you this, but I I actually came out here like one year into our church, maybe a year and a half into our church, and I guess it was like a round table thing that they had set up for pastors. I got to sneak up here and make a little video for our church, and it was just getting started, and I made a video of this place and talked to our church and said, if God can do it there, what could he do in our city? And I wanted to just report to you. You know, I remember our church cheering for that, but it was kind of hard to imagine. And And during this series called Dominate, Ferdy gives away $40,000 to people in envelopes in increments of 5, 10, 20, 50, 100, and 1,000, with the instructions that they are to give it away to people in need. The year prior, the local papers had covered the egg drop, and now they were very interested in this new capital campaign because Ferdict was giving away money, and many people were being blessed by his congregation giving that money away to others in need. By the end of 2007, they have two campuses, one at Providence High School and the other at Butler High School. And at this time, the capital campaign is in full gear. By December 2007, they have 2,500 people in attendance between both campuses and have become the eighth fastest growing church in America in only two years. For the most part, the press is good for Elevation. They are, in fact, helping their community. They are giving away money for felt needs. However, that fast growth does call some attention toward the church. So in an article from September 14th, 2008, the Charlotte Observer states that the church has adopted a governance system in which verdict answers to a group outside of the church, five unknown pastors that set his salary and hold him accountable. And this is concerning to quite a few people because now Elevation has grown from the 2,500 people it had in 2007 to 4,000 people every Sunday between both campuses at the end of 2008. With growth so fast in both attendance and funding, three questions arise. What real accountability and oversight does Verdict have if these pastors that are overseeing him aren't actually at the church? Why is the church only transparent about some of its funding and not specifically Verdict's salary? Who, if anyone, can a member take their concerns to about Verdict's preaching or leadership if the oversight pastors aren't there? And if they do take it to the oversight pastors, will they be heard out or will they simply be told to leave? Well, these questions aren't answered at all, but this does come back up later, and we'll get to it in a moment. However, going into 2009, the church buys the warehouse that it was trying to raise funds for with its Dominate campaign. It also increases its weekly services from 8 services to 11 services at now 3 different locations. 2 services at a new Uptown campus, 5 services at a Matthews campus, and 4 services at a Providence High School campus. 
Elevation's growth continues into 2010. Now, four years into the church plant, there are 6,000 people attending over three different campuses, with an additional campus in Blakeney planned in the future. However, this year, during their Easter service, instead of having them at individual campuses, they do it at the Time Warner Arena and have almost 12,000 people attend. Now, also as part of their four-year anniversary, Ferdy comes up with the idea of Love Week, a nine-day county-wide volunteer service opportunity for all of those that attend Elevation Church. Elevation partners with local charities and offers volunteers for projects and service opportunities. This goes so well, they continue doing it each year, in 2011, actually asking other churches to join them. Also in 2011, continuing with their extravagant Easter experiences, they present a 3D Easter experience, something that I had never heard of until looking into it for this video, in which Stephen Furtick can be seen in all different locations across America and experienced in 3D at each campus. This is odd, but it is something that they do and the paper reports on. Now, five years into Elevation Church, the growth has not slowed. With an average attendance of 9,500 people across all of their campuses in 2011, in addition to the innovative way that they approach their services, more and more voices begin to arise about the why and the how Stephen Furtick approaches church. Now, for whatever reason, in March of 2011, Stephen Furtick decides to reply to all of these comments with a video entitled, Hey Haters. The only kind of words you ever seem to speak bring death to the hearer and leave weakness in their way. You look like a toddler drawing lines in the sand, talking about how you're defending the truth and taking a stand. Now, it's a little difficult to find this video, but if you search Hey Hater Stephen Furtick, you'll be able to watch the entire cringe-worthy moment. The fact that it isn't up anymore except for a few corners of the internet does demonstrate that Stephen Furtick at least saw that it wasn't the right response and seems to try to redeem himself at an event that James McDonald invites him to called The Elephant Room. The whole purpose of this panel is to discuss, amongst big-name pastors of the day, current issues in the church. Now, one of the more notable and viral clips that came from the elephant room is one between Matt Chandler and Stephen Furtick. In this particular clip, they discuss preaching to build attendance versus preaching to build attendees. Wow. All right, so uh, Stephen, we're going to have you go first, and uh, you've got a heart for lost people. You're passionate about sharing the gospel and, and winning people. Uh, make the case for that's the purpose of the weekend service. We're going to reach people far from God. Let's hear it. I teach my church that our mission is to not only to reach lost people, but to exist for the world, right? Our, our church exists so that we can accomplish the mission of Jesus in the earth. And I take a statement like that that everyone agrees on, and then I say our weekend worship experience is going to, in large part, and really primarily, have a hyper-focus for that purpose. And then people start bringing um, this, this, this paradigm to bear that, that now I'm not preaching the word. I'm not feeding the flock. You hear that? Oh yeah, we exist to reach people far from God. We exist to reach lost people. People far from God. So you make it attendance and then you depersonalize it. Yeah. You just want to draw a crowd. And that's what a lot of guys who are very evangelistically passionate get pigeonholed into. In the end, my fear of this evangelism first mindset is that you've got a 40-year-old man play, playing in the kiddie pool who knows nothing of the ocean, nothing of the depths. And, and I've seen um, life just kick people in the soul uh, who haven't developed really the depth 
uh, of knowledge in regards to the character of God and who God is. Yeah. And, and so that my fear is when it's evangelism only, our, our goal here, our job here is evangelism only, is that um, you, you're in the end, if you're for people, you're not doing them a service, it's going to go bad. That, that's where some of my problem lies with this evangelism first, is it tends to isolate depth and view depth as the enemy of conversion. And it's simply not true. Mm. So you end up with, like I said, a, a 40-year-old and, and playing in the kiddie pool. And that's just sad. To say that by leading my church in a way that is missionally and evangelistically focused produces a 19-year-old who hasn't grown up yet. There's this, there's this verse in Philemon. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith sure. so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. If an evangelism first church was me standing up every week and only presenting how to be saved, how to come to Christ for 45 minutes. And there was no, there was no progressive teaching or there was no prayerful study of how are we going to communicate God's word. You know, I, I, I've planned out my sermons and, and I've done this now for the entire five years of the church with a 12 to 18 month out view that doesn't start with what would be cool and what would create buzz and what would create hype. I think very seriously about what to feed the church. However, when I'm presenting to our church why we exist and why we do this, if I don't constantly stand up there and say, this is not about us. This is not about simply collecting more knowledge. This isn't simply about looking in a mirror, going away, forgetting what we look like. Jesus said, you know, Matthew 7, everyone who comes to me and hears these yeah. words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, okay? So I'm trying to create a church that doesn't just hear the word. I'm trying to create a church that does the word. And in that focus on reaching people far from God, the content of everything that I preach is going to grow a believer. That's the whole purpose. But the greatest growth of a believer is when they get outside of themselves and they realize this isn't about me. The most spiritually mature churches are the ones where the people aren't coming in asking what 47 Bible studies do you have for me, but what can we give to the world? How can we offer ourselves as living sacrifices? 2011, despite all the criticism toward Elevation Church, was a very good year for Stephen Furtick. However, near the end of the year, Stephen's father, Larry, finds out that he has ALS, a disease that we'll see eventually not only test Stephen Furtick's faith, but just a year and a half later would take his father from him. Despite the news of his father's ALS, Stephen Furtick enters 2012 energetic and ambitious, starting the year off at the 12-night revival called the Code Orange Revival. This would be a 12-night revival with 12 different pastors that would come and preach. The two most notable would be Matt Chandler from the Elephant Room Session. From Genesis to Revelation, the, the story of the Bible, that God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. So this is what you've got to get. I want to try to help you here with something that's pretty big, pretty epic. All right, so look right at me. The Bible's not about you. Bible's about Jesus. See, there's two ways to kind of look at it. There's some people that go, this Bible's the roadmap to life. Now, I understand what they're saying. So if you've heard that from your guy, great. Uh, th this is in some ways uh, a roadmap of what we should do, where we should go. What, but, but ultimately, you can't call it the roadmap to life. It's not the roadmap to life. And if you think that way, you'll read the Bible wrong. Uh, what you'll do is you'll keep, now let me, here's what you do. You'll keep infusing yourself into the stories of the Bible like you're the hero. And this happens all the time. All right, so I, I mean, I want to be straight. I love you enough to be straight. You're not David. And his longtime preaching hero, T.D. Jakes. 
I have arrived. I'm at Elevation Church. Just met your pastor face to face, and and yet his reputation precedes him. Uh, your your love for Jesus Christ and your thrust and drive to serve him is the epistles that he needs. The Apostle Paul said that we are living epistles read of men. You have no need of anyone else's commendations. When you look into your face and into your life and see what a transformation has occurred, it is proof positive that there is a living thing in this place tonight. Would you clap your hand and help me thank God? Wow. Yes. From here on out, the relationship between Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes just continues to increase. Perry Noble had helped Stephen Furtick plant the church. Craig Rochelle had given him the leadership tips and infrastructure in order to sustain it. And T.D. Jakes brings the confidence and preaching power that Stephen Furtick has looked up to for years. Instead of Jakes being someone that Furtick watches and emulates on a screen, T.D. Jakes is now someone that Furtick can text for advice both on preaching and faith. Says to Elisha. I ain't giving it to you yet. But if you still behind me, if you follow me through hell and high water, if you go through tests and storms, if I can hurt your feelings, if I can tell you to go back and you still hang in there with me, then when I get ready to give my glory, you got it. Somebody holler, I want it! Though Stephen has looked up to both Perry Noble and Craig Rochelle as big brothers in the faith, his relationship with T.D. Jakes is verifiably different. He clearly sees him as a father figure in the faith, one to be emulated and learned from and admired. And from 2012 on, Elevation Church and Stephen Furtick's ministry is greatly shaped by T.D. Jakes. Hi! And so, thank you for your faith, Bishop. Thank you for every slippery place. Thank you for every thorny place you navigated. You made it look easy. We know it wasn't easy, but you made it look that way. So forgive us when we don't appreciate you like we ought to appreciate you. But we want you to know we're with you, heart and soul. You are a weapon and you will win. Keep climbing, Bishop. Keep climbing. 2012 is an enormous year for Stephen Furtick. Not only does he get to know T.D. Jakes, but the church has grown from 9,500 people in 2011 to 11,700 in 2012. Along with this, they need more space, and they plan to build a new $20 million facility in Ballantyne, a facility that is meant to hold 1,500 people per service, as well as house the offices and administrative staff of Elevation Church. And going into 2013, they are well on their way. They they raised $8.1 million during their capital campaign toward this new campus, as well as securing land for the campus itself. However, 2013 is not without its own troubles. In fact, Stephen's dad passes away from ALS June 5th, 2013. Before he passed, Larry asked Stephen if he would preach his funeral and gave him the specific request to make sure he gave God all the glory. Stephen Furtick does preach his father's funeral using 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-9 through 9 as his dad's text. Now Stephen's dad's death actually brings him and his brother Matthew a bit closer. 
As I explained earlier in this video, when Steven's verdict first got saved, he had a little bit of a legalistic bent to him. In Crashing the Chatterbox, the exact book that Stephen Furtick was writing at the time of his father's death, he explains how this time was very healing for him and his brother Matthew. He had been hard on Matthew, very legalistic about what Matthew watched, listened to, looked at. And in this point, Matthew opens up to Stephen about how he had really ruined Jesus for him in those early days. Stephen says in this book that he apologizes to Matthew and actually explains to him that the gospel isn't what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. And this conversation is transformational for Stephen. He gets him thinking more about if he has done this to others through his ministry. And while it doesn't bring a huge change to his ministry, it does affect how he preaches and the tone that he takes. And while Stephen's father's death was tragic for him, it was not the only issues he faces in 2013. The zoning for the new church is approved in July 2013 as well, but he also starts to build a home for himself, a house that is worth $1.6 million, even though Ferdick himself only paid $325,000 for it. And he says that the money didn't come from the church, but rather his book sales. This is where the controversy once again comes up about the overseers of Elevation Church. This question had been asked back in 2008, but ignored and had gone away. But Stephen Furtick building his mansion brings this question up again. Who are the overseers of Elevation Church? And while these overseers do change per year, as of 2013, they were Perry Noble, Stovall Weems, Kevin Gerald, Jack Graham, and Dino Rizzo. I'm not going to take the time to go through each of these pastors, but I will say that three of these pastors are no longer pastors of the churches they were pastors of then because of various different scandals that they were involved in. And while the public now knows who the overseers are of Elevation Church, it doesn't actually bring any more closure or transparency to what is going on at Elevation Church. Stephen Furtick's house is actually one of the most talked about and read about stories in the papers in 2013. And despite all of the scandal surrounding Stephen Furtick's house and the fact that the church is not transparent about his pay, Elevation Church still grows. In 2012, they had 11,700 people. In 2013, they have 13,800. Nothing is slowing down the growth of Elevation Church. The Ballantyne campus is still on track to be complete in 2015, with its final cost being $10 million. Entering into 2014, Stephen Furtick could almost be considered a celebrity in his own right. I say this because the local papers occasionally mention him in passing, even when it has nothing to do with him or the church. An example of this is when Stephen interviews football player Steve Smith for no real reason. By 2014, Elevation opens another campus in Lake Norman, bringing their total campuses in 2014 to Blakeney, Lake Norman, Matthews, Providence, Rock Hill, University, and Uptown. Stephen's third book, Crash the Chatterbox, is released, and Elevation Church has an entire series named after the book. Also this year, as sort of a way to be transparent about the financial situation at Elevation, the church joins the ECFA, an Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. In doing so, they had to turn over all their financial documents, and these documents do show where most of the money goes. But they don't answer the question that everyone, including the media, seems to really want to know. How much does Stephen Furtick make? Now, to be clear, this isn't a question that is just being asked. As early as 2007, there were newspaper articles being written about what he wore and how much it cost, a subject that would have more attention brought to it in 2019 because of preachers and sneakers, but we'll get to that in a minute. Starting in 2015, Elevation begins to shift gears a bit, not in drastic ways, just in ways in which they begin to purchase a lot of different property. So for example, starting in 2015, they spend $10.2 million to purchase the rest of the property that their Matthews campus is located on. 
So to be clear, they had bought the original warehouse back in 2009 with their Dominate campaign, but now are spending that $10.2 million to buy the rest of the property that that campus actually sits on. And this adds to the campuses and the campus properties that they hold up to 10 campuses now with an average of 17,000 people amongst all 10 campuses. The same year, Elevation opens up their University City Church that they had been building and working on. And Stephen gives a rare interview in November 2015, again, about his finances and his house and the growth of the church. But this is a bit different because up until this point, he had sort of been instructed not to give interviews by a consultant that he had brought on early on in the church's growth. So this interview does give us a bit of a look into how Stephen Furtick interviews and the answers he gives. Furtick's grandfather was a Methodist minister, but Furtick says it wasn't with the word of God that the elder shaped him. And just watching him show up and take my grandmother to Wendy's every day when she didn't know who he was, uh, she didn't know his name. Um, if she did speak to him, usually she was yelling at him. This is toward the end of her bout with Alzheimer's. And to see him still show up and comb her hair and stuff, I learned more by watching him do that than anything that he said. I don't know any of his sermons. I hmm. heard him preach two or three times, that's it. But I watched him do that and uh, I know it marked me. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that before, but watching him is probably one of the main places I got my picture of marriage. He built a large home in South Charlotte and over the past couple years, critics and some in the media have called for more details about Elevation's finances and Pastor Furtick's in particular. There is a lot of interest in the church's finances and your finances and your personal lifestyle. Do you ever think, I'm just gonna release these records to shut everybody up? Well, in my personal lifestyle, I know that we have to have integrity and I know that we have to be generous. And I know the extent to which that is true of me and Holly. So to go on record and say, here's how much money we've given away and here's what we do with our finances, to me, that would be the most arrogant thing that I could do and it would rob me of the blessing of doing what Jesus said which is when you give you don't get up and tell everybody how much you've given so when you share one part of a picture whether that's how much one of our our staff members that you met when you came in what they make that's between them and God mm -hmm. that's not mine to release and the same with my family I wouldn't do that to my wife and my kids 2016 is a fairly tame year for Elevation Church and Furtick. The church continues to grow and only a handful of eventful things actually occur, namely the release of his book, Unqualified. And while the book may be a direct response to John MacArthur's words about Furtick, he doesn't actually address the controversy within the book. He just capitalizes on the phrase that MacArthur used to define him. You see, the MacArthur comments had come back in 2012 at a Shepherds Conference. Stephen Furtick. Unqualified. However, just a few years prior, Furtick had heard about them and decided to write a book with the same title. But what surprised me was that I kind of agreed and I was fine with it. And after I thought through my emotions for a few minutes, it was like I thought, yeah. That has a nice ring to it, unqualified. So good. I've always felt that way. Right. I feel that way as a pastor. I feel that way as a husband. I feel that way as a dad. Who doesn't feel that way? 
Now, taking in typical Furtick fashion what was meant to be negative and spinning into something positive, he entitles the book Unqualified. However, he doesn't actually address what MacArthur was talking about, the qualifications of a pastor. Rather, he makes being unqualified look like something that a believer would want to be, because if you're unqualified, you can fully rely on God. Furtick never actually addresses the qualifications that MacArthur is speaking about in his comments, and it's not because Furtick doesn't understand what pastoral qualifications are. If you know anything about Stephen Furtick, hopefully up to this point, you know that he knows the Bible. But the way he writes the book, as well as the way he speaks about it later, completely ignores the biblical qualifications for elder, even though he knows them, and instead spins qualifications to calling, ignoring the qualifications, and simply saying it's because he's called that he's qualified. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. See, it's not that I'm qualified. It's, it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I'm together. It's not that I'm there. It's not that I have arrived. It's not that I never yell at my kids. It's not that I never have road rage. I'm working on it. Pray for me. But in the meantime, I'm called. And he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. And that's why I'm confident, because I'm called. And you know what I did? I wrote a book, and I called it Unqualified. Right there on the cover. Now, ironically, that same year, Stephen's longtime friend Perry Noble, the one that had talked him into actually planning Elevation, is forced to step down as the pastor of New Springs Church because of his problem with alcohol. Two other things happened this year that are fairly interesting. One is that the long-awaited Ballantyne campus opens, their main campus in which everything will come from. Also, this same year, or around this same time, Furtick starts a class called Generations for a select group of students from Elevation. It's basically a way for him to stay connected to the youth culture at Elevation, a way for Furtick to go back to his roots and make sure he's tapped into the culture. He holds these classes a couple times each year. He seems to take away some of the lessons he's learned here in regards to trends and vocabulary, and then apply them to sermon series that he's doing. The controversies of 2016 follow Furtick into 2017. In fact, in February of 2017, he has Perry Noble, the friend that just recently had to step down from his church because of alcoholism, speak at Elevation during a series called Work Your Window. As you look out over these people today at this campus and all of the campuses, over 25,000 strong in weekly attendance, making a difference that touches the world. I want you to know that none of this would be here without you. Elevation Church, I present to you my friend and window, Perry Noble. Along with hosting his embattled friend at his church, the press continues to be unhappy about Furtick not releasing his pay, as well as omitting previously disclosed facts about the church in its annual report. 2017 also provides a very interesting window about the influence of Furtick and Elevation Church. 
The more their influence grows, the more people outside of Charlotte have questions about what is going on inside of Elevation. One example of this is the review that a local reporter does on Furtick when he spoke at the National Outcry Tour. There's a lot that the reporter says in this article, but one section is actually telling in regards to how the wider culture is viewing Elevation now, or at least part of it. In the article, he states that there are friends that he knows that refer to Elevation as cultivation, a nod to the claim that the church resembles a cult. However, he is fair in saying that he also has good friends that attend and pledge allegiance to the church and know them to be sane and free-thinking individuals. Also at this time, Furtick's popularity has become so well-known that the Babylon Bee, a Christian satire site, actually runs a fake article in 2017 saying that Joel Olstein had signed Stephen Furtick on contract and that he was leaving Elevation. Something that got so out of hand, Stephen Furtick had to make a video telling everyone that it was false. Alright, just a quick reminder, something that you already know, something my mom taught me since I was a little boy. Always consider the source a friend of mine sent me a link the other day to a fake article on a satirical website and they were making it look like I was leaving Elevation Church to go to another church like an NBA free agent for a big contract. Of course, none of that is true. I am not leaving Elevation Church. The thing was meant to be a joke. Whether it's funny or right for them to post that, that's up to you to decide. But what's crazy to me is the number of people who believed it and then even spread it around that I was leaving my church. And it just reminded me, we got to be careful. Uh, we live in the age of information, but we're starving for truth. And we can't believe everything we read or everything we think. And we certainly can't treat life like a middle school cafeteria. So just be careful out there. Uh, consider the source. And I'm starting a new series this weekend at Elevation Church, Bars and Battles. See you there. Now, this same year, something else comes up that we've briefly talked about before. You see, also this same year, Elevation kicks out a mother that was breastfeeding during service, saying that she was distracting those around her and causing a disruption to others. Now, this may seem odd, and to a lot of you it's going to be, but as we've talked about before, Elevation sort of has this unwritten policy that it needs to be a distraction-free environment so that everyone can listen to Stephen Furtick speak and that the worship experience isn't ruined for others. And if the evidence of kicking out a breastfeeding mother isn't enough evidence for you, there are two things I want to show you. The first is a short clip from the anonymous intern from earlier. Chic. Christians. Um... It's not for the, the people who are homeless and smelly that walk in. It's not for the mentally disabled who, who make noises during service because that's a distraction, right? They, they escort mothers with crying babies outside. They ask not crying, but fussy. They escort um, individuals in wheelchairs who, who make noises and their machines make noises out because that's a distraction, right? It's not a church for everybody. It's a church for the polished and rich. The second is a video of someone just vlogging their experience at an Elevation Church campus. And while it may seem sort of off the wall, it is very interesting to hear what the production manager says about the children's ministry that happens to be located adjacent to the sanctuary. Did you notice anything weird during the sermon in the room? Was there any distractions in the room? Not that I heard. Why? What are you looking for? Good. Well, you were sitting at the front of the riser section. Yeah. Right? On the other side of that wall is where they keep the little kids. And I mean the super little, like one-year-old. Like, well, they were watching a movie. 
Oh. And the people on the top of the riser section so could hear the bass. I didn't hear it. So I heard it one time, very briefly. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. So our producer, we texted him. He walked in there and they had moved their sub and laid it up against the wall, which oh. is that. Yeah, but man, he, if there's a distraction during sermon in this church, I don't care what it is, he gets yanked, you know. But at the same thing. time, you can't, you gotta have a movie in there for the one-year-olds or they're of course gonna go you do. Eat. For sure, man. But they don't need the bass. No. Yeah, they'll be all right with that. I'll pull the plug out of that sub, man. I don't care. <laughs> All in all, 2017 is a fairly quiet year for Elevation, but it does seem to be that the cracks are starting to show on a much wider scale. There have definitely been people that have questioned Elevation since the beginning, but this seems to be a bigger deal now the more eyes that are on them. It, right. I don't think it's a hidden thing, um, but like the first three or four like rows are sort of stacked with people specifically that seem like they're more inclined to stand and clap and right. yeehaw and all that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, so, well, for for the people who are like not not just for people who come on Sundays, but those who are like invested in both um, obviously staff but also volunteers, they know. Like, at least at my location, it was the first, like, two or three rows. They were called reserved rows. You had to speak to a specific um, volunteer to make sure you got a seat. And then they, they would say, we expect you to be animated. Oh, wow. Like, it was, it was a known thing that you can't sit there and just take notes. You have to be clapping and um, verbally talking back to, to the screen, too. At my location, they were projecting Stephen, um, Pastor Stephen, on the screen, so we had to talk back to the screen. Flying through the air, you know. Come on, Pastor. Lord's aerial victory. I saw it like a yes. yes. Am I doing something wrong? Yeah. 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 Pull it. Pull it. Pull it. Pull it. Yes. So, in order for come on, the come on, come on, to its purpose. Yes. The bow has to be pulled. I want to preach today for 25 minutes on the power of the pull. Oh, that's good. Now, relatively quiet in 2017 turns into quiet in 2018 and 2019. This demonstrates that Elevation has sort of hit its stride. It's continually reaching people, bringing them in, and getting them to volunteer. This isn't to say that nothing happens in 2018, 2019, or 2020. Of course, things do happen. Ferdict inevitably preaches sermons in which he says something that is controversial and does get clipped, such as these examples. They made a mistake when they typed it in for the screen because it says that Jesus could not, and we're not used to seeing anything that he can't do. And so I know you think I need to fire the production team who put the scripture up, that it should say he would not. That, that he was unwilling to, but it actually, it actually says he could not. He was unable to. There was one thing that even Jesus was not able to do, and it was to override the unbelief of the people. And now, well, I believe this campus pastor meant well, but what he said I had to correct him on later. And I'm not a mean guy, and I make mistakes up here too. But to me, he made a really big mistake when he was praying the prayer because he was inviting the people to pray, and he said, if you want to give your heart to Christ today and know for sure that you have a relationship with him, pray this. You know, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe without a doubt. That's the part he should have left out. I believe without a doubt that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, 
Today I give you my life. All of it was good. All of it was appropriate, and there is no other way to be saved but to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. But that one parenthetical insert, without a doubt, I told him never again when you stand in the pulpit at elevation do I want you to put people in a position where you're telling them to pray something that they can't honestly pray. For the most part, Elevation just continues doing what Elevation has done, growing and growing and growing. Now it is in 2019 that a certain account on Instagram called Preachers and Sneakers starts asking the same general question that the newspapers have been asking ever since Elevation Church started. Why does Stephen Furtick dress so nicely? How expensive are his clothes? To be fair, Preachers and Sneakers doesn't just target Stephen Furtick. He is, however, featured numerous times on the account for his expensive shoes and expensive clothing. Now this is questionable in and of itself, and the account Preachers and Sneakers actually starts a lot of really good conversations in 2019. However, there's also a Reddit post from an ex-employee of Elevation Church stating that Stephen Furtick has a stylist specifically to pick out clothes each Sunday for him to wear. All of these clothes, of course, are the ones featured on Preachers and Sneakers. However, this conversation doesn't really get very far because as 2019 ends, COVID begins. And as COVID begins, the conversation begins to shift, not just because of the COVID shutdowns, but also because of everything surrounding the George Floyd case. Just a few years prior, in 2017, Elevation Church had been recognized as one of the most ethnically diverse churches in the city. One of the reasons some cite for this is Furtick's previous engagement with racial issues within the culture, on and off throughout the years, as well as Furtick's friendship with Pastor T.D. Jakes. Furtick speaks about his growing up in a racially divided area and how he dealt with racism and overcame it with Christ. And it's really fear-based, like black people are to be feared. You know, you have a couple encounters and you tell yourself that. It's not an intellectual belief, it's an emotional belief. None of those beliefs were things that I studied. I never read a book that taught me to feel a way about black people and white people. It was my experiences. And so I wonder how much of what we call belief has nothing to do with intellect. It has to do with emotions that that have been embedded and then reinforced. The first thing, though, with my conversion to Christ was all of that left my heart. In addition to this, Stephen Furtick invites fellow pastor John Gray to come speak on the topic and hold a panel about it. 2020, 2021, and 2022 all seem to be years in which Furtick is really struggling with his identity once again, especially with not being able to meet in person. He is used to being in front of a crowd of people, psyching them up, feeding off their energy, and now that he can't do that, he seems to be sort of lost and actually admits to the fact that he had a really hard time during these years. Because I kind of felt like a hypocrite when I was struggling emotionally. And here's how it'd be. You come out to preach... The worship team is going into you know something very powerful and anthemic, and sometimes it was a song I wrote, and I wouldn't feel the lyrics to the song I wrote, and I'd be coming out here, but I have a job to do, and I want to be responsible. I mean, good God, if I'm a plumber, I don't get to feel you know, putting a wrench on a pipe. You got to just fix something, so I've got a job to do, so I'll come up here and inspire faith. Not every time, but a lot of times, and I would feel guilty. What it took out of me to build the ministry put me in a place where I could not receive ministry myself. 
Now, one of the things I haven't mentioned up to this point, but something that Ferdict is very clear about in his books and sermons, is that since the inception of Elevation Church, he's actually gone to a therapist. And I say this not to shame him, but rather to demonstrate not only his vulnerability, but the way that therapy works its way into his sermons. Y'all, I've used therapy in my life on and off to be a good pastor without shame for years. I talk to somebody in a heartbeat. I will. Well, you should talk to the Lord. I talk to him and people because I can't see him. Thank you, Pastor. You, you make us feel so much more because I thought you never struggled. No, I do. I struggle. I struggle a lot. That's how I get these little messages. I go down to hell. I box the devil six days. I come back and tell you here's something to try on him. Now, with this church opening back up and continuing into 2023, we begin to see that elevation hits its stride again, kind of goes back into the default position it was already in with growth. However, if you do look at some of their annual reports, they are growing more online now than they ever have before. And a lot of that can be attributed to COVID and a lot of people going online. And all of these numbers are very important to Elevation Church. In fact, they seem to count them as attendees and encourage them to get to e-groups, which is online groups. Many of these groups, especially if you view the sermon online, are virtual and not in-person, though they do offer some in-person groups as well. Now, I bring this up because Stephen Furtick seems to be okay with people viewing the full sermons online by themselves in their house and then joining one of these virtual groups and then calling yourself a part of Elevation Church, as long as you participate, of course. I mean, I meet people now when I go out and they say, oh, you're my church. You're my online pastor. I live in Austin, Texas, and, and I'm, a, I'm a part of your church. You're my, you're my pastor from a distance. And, and I'll say, that's awesome. When do you watch uh, 9.30? Because, you know, we stream it every week and people watch all over the world. And they'll say, no, nah, man, I watch it on Instagram. Now, listen to me. <laughs> they are calling me their pastor watching a one-minute clip, and to them, that's going to church. I watched a clip. I put Jesus in my pocket and call it church. See, for us to think that church is consumption is so far removed from the original intent of the one who died to establish it. I mean, this church cost Jesus his life, and some of us won't come when it's a little cold outside. There is one more major event this year. You see, going into 2023, Elevation Church actually leaves the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, you heard me right. They had been part of the Southern Baptist Convention this entire time. And during the first few years, it was probably a benefit for them to do that as far as funding and missions and all of those sorts of things. But Elevation Church really doesn't need the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. And with the ousting of Saddleback Church over women pastors, Elevation Church decides to write a letter and withdraw their membership as well. And that brings us up to now. We've seen how Stephen Furtick began his ministry and how he planted Elevation Church. We have seen the growth of Elevation Church from one campus to 17 plus campuses. And we have seen the people that were and are his mentors. The question we should ask now are simple. Is this a biblical model for church as we see it in the scriptures? Is Stephen Furtick qualified for ministry per the qualifications in the pastoral epistles? Should someone listen to Stephen Furtick for biblical advice? Well, I think all of these questions can be answered by these. Does he preach Jesus was born of a virgin? 
that he lived the perfect life that we could not live, that he died the death we should have died, that he was raised in defeat of sin and death, and that he is ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father to one day come again to judge the living and the dead. These are the questions I think you should look deeper into. Take the information from this video, check what Stephen Furtick says against the scriptures, and discern for yourself. All the while praying what I would assume you would pray for every pastor, that if he needs to repent, that the Lord would draw him to this repentance. And if the Lord is using him, he will do so for the glory of Christ.